0: Hello and welcome to the Behind the Artist podcast with Park West Gallery. I'm gallery director Morris Shapiro. If you'd like to view works of the artists I'm interviewing and learn more about them, please visit our podcast site with links to more content at parkwestgallery.com forward slash podcast. International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers. The twists and turns of our lives no doubt contribute to the people we become in both our personal and professional worlds, and this is no different for artists. They just seem to have more courage than the average Joe. But in the case of the artist Matt Byra, His twists and turns may just be more remarkable than you can imagine. I'll let him tell the story in this segment, which is sure to surprise you. And Matt also reveals his discovery of the remarkable technique that would propel him into international success. He also discusses in depth his process in creating his extraordinary paintings and the challenges he faces in bringing every one of his amazing artworks into being. This is Behind the Artist. It's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Morris Shapiro, and I hope you enjoy this journey into the life and art of Matt Byra. So I'm here with Matt Byra, and uh, Matt, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you here on the program. So you and I just met on this event for the first time, which is really fun for me, and I've heard so much about you because of your success. and. Uh, I think it's crazy that there's just like this, there has to be some sort of historical milestone that we've broken, (laughs) that you've broken in the art world, because just to set it straight here for our listeners. Today, uh, at the time of this recording, this is the 13th event that you've done with Park West. 13 events. In one year, it was a year ago tomorrow, that you, it'll be one year that you, you did your first event. One year ago, you did 13 events, and every single one of them has been a complete sellout.
1: That's right. That I, is just nuts. I, it's mind-boggling to me as, well, as much too. as it is you. It's just <laughs> nuts. I, I mean, I've had sellout
0: shows with artists before, and I, I maybe I've had two you know not even in a row like two maybe then you know in a year or two years or something but 13 in a row that is just sick so it's just crazy that people it's not crazy I mean it's understandable your work is amazing um but it's just it's just I'm still like trying to comprehend it all and wrap my mind around imagine what it must be like for you well I, I feel
1: like I almost should just Quit while I'm ahead, <laughs> and, and at some you know, point you're not going to have a sellout. It's going to stop. At yeah, some point, right. Yeah, mentally? I, I is it going to disappoint you? Maybe I should just, you know, <laughs> throw in my cards and uh, walk away. Walk, head, walk away. Leave head, them wanting more. Head for the hills, man. Um, no, it's been a surreal experience. Uh, something that I never dreamed would happen because before even the first show, I was literally at the, the road's end, so to speak, where I didn't know if or could fathom the fact that you know this whole art career thing was going to work out for me I think we
0: should you know get back to that point about where you were in your life but let's go farther back so you come from St. Augustine Florida that's right, right? you are born in St. Augustine which is incidentally I think
1: it's America's oldest city isn't yeah, it yeah historical town Cortez settled there I think was in it or I think yeah um, Fort Matanzas uh-huh. All that, all that right. historically plays into uh, that whole near, town. It's near Jacksonville.
0: It's a little south, yeah, of, Jacksonville. south of Jacksonville. Yeah, St. Augustine, Augustine, yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, really special place.
1: So you're born there, and you take an interest in art at a very early age? You could say that. I mean, just like any kid, finger paints or dewey-dowies with crayons and that whole thing. But it, it, honestly, growing up in that area, there really wasn't much to do other than um find trouble or let trouble find you or go to the beach mm-hmm. and so i grew up going to the beach all the time and um surfing mm-hmm. it was a, a big passion of mine just anything with the ocean but it took surfing to find <laughs> ironically this career that i've chosen because it was one day when i paddled out with a childhood friend of mine, uh, Ramsey. How old were you? I was in 8th grade, um, what, 12, 12, mm-hmm. 11, 12, and uh, there, was a, there was a tropical storm out, I remember this vividly, because it was all gloomy and gray and lightning, and you, you, one of those days you knew you shouldn't be going in the ocean, um, and we went in anyways, <laughs> just because the be waves. were 12-year-old. Yeah, the waves were good, and uh, I, I paddled about... Thirty yards out, when uh, I felt something pull on my leg, and I thought it was my buddy Ramsey, you know, pulling my leg uh, to try to build his momentum up, because we used to horse around like that all the time. And uh, when I turned around, I saw, a f- you know, a fin go back in the water. I didn't see I didn't see anything other than just a fin go back in the water, and I instinctively, Pulled my leg up, mm-hmm. and I saw a bunch of jagged cut marks going down the back of my foot, wow. and blood coming down it. You know, and instantly I knew I just got bit by something, mm-hmm. and what appeared to be a shark. And right after that, ironically enough, the a set of waves had came in and knocked me off my board. So oh, here yeah. I am, in the just water. just yeah. like experiencing this blood. S- this yeah. blood yeah. cut and. Uh, i'm in open water i know something just bit me and i felt like at that point i was about ready to like you just die lie. you know yeah, yeah i started right. panicking big right. time uh-huh. and uh just hey yeah, i got on my board as fast and quick as i possibly could and i was like shark shark my buddy Ramsey was just frozen in there and it was basically like the cartoons after that where you see them you know their legs just like <laughs> spiraling spinning, yeah, yeah and spinning and i got back on shore as fast as i possibly could it was funny because at that point, there was um, a local, the town drunk, basically, who had a three-wheeler on the beach at the time. He used to carry his little, you know, cooler on the back of his motorcycle, a three-wheeler thing. And uh, he came up to me, and I was like, hey, man, I think I just got bit by a shark. Could you please give me a ride, you know, back to my house? He was so lucky he was there. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, yep, yeah, that's a shark bite, all right, you know? And um, when I got there... It was funny because the adrenaline sits in at that mm-hmm. point. You don't you don't really feel the pain, pain yeah. until people start freaking out. You know, mm-hmm. and I get to my mom's house and she's like totally losing it, and yeah. making me paranoid. But she drove us to the hospital, and uh, it was funny because there was there was no surgeon at the hospital that could sew my foot up. There was because of the how much skin that got lost. They had mm-hmm. to call somebody in from New Smyrna, mm-hmm. and uh, six hours later after they mm-hmm. cut my wetsuit off and all that. They sewed my foot up to the point where I had 120 stitches on top and 90 on the bottom. And uh, the, surgeon, the surgeon who sewed my foot up was also a marine biologist and could tell by the bite pattern that it was a seven to eight foot hammerhead. Wow. Yeah. And um, I was bedridden for uh, about six to eight weeks after that with nothing else to do was this in the summer or during school this was during school during school yeah, yeah so, I mean, school I, too, so I, I lost right. I missed out right. on school uh-huh. um, and I, I remember laying in bed uh, just flipping through the TV channels and I came across that joy of painting with Bob Ross <laughs> uh, you know you know, you know yeah, who I'm TV talking about cool yeah stuff. yeah ironically yeah. enough who he went to Ringling as well Oh, did he really yeah, yeah. and yeah. I was from the Daytona Beach area wow. I never knew that. Yeah, no. and... Um, for, for our listeners who don't know, Bob Ross had a TV show,
0: and this was, what, in the 80s and 90s? I think it started in the 70s, maybe. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And then just and, kept playing yeah. throughout. And he would paint... On this TV show, and they he'd pick a subject, you know, a mountain scene or something. In a half he an hour, produce painting. Yeah. and he would make this painting, and they'd film him, and he would talk about the process of making the painting. And it was like super low budget. It was kind exactly. of cheesy, yeah. It was kind and of cheesy, but he it. made it look fun. I know, I know. people you know, loved
1: it, and it was just cool.
0: He was really a talented guy. Yeah, super and talented
1: guy. You know, so when I saw that, it made me want to try it. Mm-hmm. I was literally addicted. Um, so you hadn't really painted before that, or no? You were just playing around. With just it, I, I mean, just as a kid. You know, yeah. growing up. Yeah. But uh, here I am laying in bed with my foot up, just trying to follow along with with Bob, and <laughs> it's it was the most horrendous painting that I th- it was my first one, but it was total garbage, just total garbage. You and still have it. I do. Good. I do Good. still have it. Um, the funny thing is, is even though it was total garbage, I enjoyed it i enjoyed that whole painting process of you know putting a yellow into the sky with a little bit of red and blending the colors smearing it around and then you know he used to use the palette knife to paint mountains and he made it look so easy yeah. but when yeah I, I actually tried it it wasn't easy but i enjoyed it and i think it was that moment that i realized even though the piece i just created was total crap and garbage I wanted to keep doing it over and over again and um, so I'm in eighth grade you know get back to school everyone's just like oh my god I can't believe you got bit by a shark and you know years go by when you're in high school and I started pursuing the arts. I was doing a lot of at that point construction was booming in the town that I lived in and everybody was making a killing doing you know uh, tile and my my brother uh, Rob was he had his own business where he, he was doing tile, and I would help him um, full-time off and on through, through the summer. And It was hard work, you know? I mean, yeah, you were, everyone was making a killing at it, but it, I realized then and there that that was yeah, not what I direction. wanted to do. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't want to just yeah. kill myself yeah. to make a penny. Yeah. It's a young man's profession, too. Right. Yeah. So um, I think it was 10th grade, I started dual enrollment in a local college. Mm where um, I took some local art classes to build up a portfolio. Mm-hmm. I started researching different schools and colleges that I thought I might want to go to. And I didn't know what exactly it was that I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do construction. And I loved the whole art thing. And uh, so I put together a portfolio with still lifes and you know charcoal sketches, um, basically anything I could like do well that I thought was well and... um, Your your intention for the
0: portfolio was to qualify you for an art college? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so
1: I I researched and came up with uh, Ringling School of Mm -hmm. Art and Design. I wanted to try to stay local, at least in the same state. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they they had a sort of like a criteria of what you needed to apply. Yeah. Uh And um, so I put that together and I got accepted. So I, I chose illustration and I chose it mainly because I needed help with drawing. I needed help with shading, value, like uh, color, and all that. And then we got to the whole digital side of it all. And I think when I graduated, that's when uh, I started doing a lot of freelance, like book covers, um, editorial illustrations. I was doing a lot of work on my own, and. Um, yeah. I, what year did you graduate? Two thousand six. So yes the internet
0: was in full swing. Digital yeah. art was in full swing at the Yeah, end. absolutely. Yeah, so you're balancing digital work and painting. Yeah. Work. yeah. 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 Illustrators that you really admired, that were like your heroes?
1: Uh yeah. I mean I mean you got Maxfield Parrish, Yeah. Uh, N C Wyeth. Sure. Um yeah. Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Um it's like the, the Drew Struzan, the guy who does all like all the Indiana Jones movie right, cover Bruce posters Drew, and yeah. stuff like that. That was always sort of uh, what inspired me. Um, yeah. On on top of you know some some more more illustrators from that are the same age as me, like uh, uh, Jamie Jones, and yeah, I started looking more into the whole matte painting side of it all, like background painting for a film, mm-hmm. um, which truly inspired me but I never really wanted to work in-house mm-hmm. you know I, I really never wanted to work in-house so I always steered away and tended like tended to do my own thing after college I signed on with um, an artist who was carbon driftwood but, um his name was Paul Balaker and he ironically enough lived like right down the street from where I grew up and I would pass I would pass by this gallery uh, every summer and be like man i need to stop in there one day it's one it's one of those places where you you cannot help but to drive by and like look that way because there's all these crazy carvings and you know he was a sculptor he's a sculptor yeah, yeah. driftwood of driftwood yeah and uh one summer in college i finally took the time to um stop by and just you know introduce myself saying you know i grew up in this town whatever and Uh, You know, I'm fascinated by your work. I don't know if you'd ever need the help, but um, it just so happened that he did. And uh, he was so busy that I signed on with him that summer instead of doing tile with my brother. I was just like, oh, this this is going to be great, you know. (laughs) And um, I started working with him, doing, you know, sanding and uh, patina work on bronzes Mm -hmm. and joining, building furniture all out of Driftwood. And on top of which, he had a gallery in front that he let me also put my artwork in there. So I I was exposed to his clientele. Uh And uh, it's kind of funny too, because I was always jealous because he had his own niche. You know what I mean? Like he found something natural that he put his own twist on it and people knew him for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, maybe I wasn't jealous, but I was, I was sort of like, you man, that's, that's what I need. Thing, yeah. yeah right. I, I wanted yeah. the same thing as an artist. Right. Sure. And I worked with him for years. I, you know, 2008 came and the market crashed and mm-hmm. that was hard on everybody. So after, after the whole market crash, I, I sort of stopped working with him and Moved out to California thinking you know there's other opportunities out there which was a total struggle and um, while I was out there I was just constantly checking the job boards that was related to Ringling School they would they would have like this college central website that you could go on to and look you know search for freelance jobs and I came across this one that said F- need a full-time art instructor on board celebrity cruise lines and i called it i called it up it was the art center of miami and uh i talked with this lady for three hours and i was like what is the catch because you're telling me you're going to pay me a, a salary of like five thousand dollars a month plus commissions and i'd go and travel abroad you know in throughout the caribbean and the Mediterranean, uh-huh. and. Um, what is the catch and she's like basically the catch is that you're on board for four months at a time yeah you gotta live the ship life you gotta live the ship life and i was like everybody's cut out for that i was like count me in so i sent her my resume and my Mm -hmm. portfolio Mm -hmm. (laughs) she put it through to the higher authorities and next thing you know i'm like i got a contract to go and do this whole art studio thing. who are you teaching I am. Te- I was teaching guests on the, on the okay. on the cruise ships. So the, as an activity on the ship, exactly. Have, like, a, yeah, I was. I was, yeah. I was part of the, the uh, watercolor, the entertainment, yeah, the entertainment yeah. department. department yeah. And um, I remember, <laughs> I re- I remember walking to work every day, passing by the Park West Gallery, mm-hmm. just looking and peeking my head in, thinking yeah, yeah. like, man, that's that would be kind of cool to be a part of one yeah. day, you know, like. If I could get my work in, in that one day, then that'd be great. And I, it, it sort of just settled on the back burner until that whole uh, ship contract wore off and they discontinued the, the art program. studio. Yeah. yeah. And after that, I I went, went back I, to California? Or back no, to I, went, I went back to Florida. Yeah. And I had a couple commissions after I, after I got off the ship that kept me busy for about a year. And then when those ran out, I was literally at... A standstill. I didn't know what I was gonna do. Yeah. So I waited around for a couple months, trying to find and scope more freelance opportunities. Nothing was coming up. Nothing was coming up. I was still producing in that time, but nothing was selling, and I wasn't making any money. I was kind of, I was kind of going backwards. So that was that was a hard time. And um, it wasn't. It wasn't until I finally got a commission. This person had a specific way they wanted it framed, so I was like, I could build the frame, no problem. I ran out of stain and decided to mix up my own stain through um, mineral spirits and oil paints. Like it's pretty much the same thing. It just, you know, they, they sell it in Home Depot in a can or something like that, you know. So I mixed up this stain and uh, started staining the frame. Totally, totally hacked the frame and and. You know, screwed it up, but there was a light bulb that went off into my head because at that point, after I screwed it up, I was just like, "Oh my God, now, now I really done it!" And um, I just literally started doodling into the frame with, you know, uh, transparent oil paints. And next thing you know, I had doodled a little, simple little landscape, like a like a horizon line with some trees, and I, I did a reflection, and I saw the grain look like water. And I saw the sky look kind of like clouds, yeah. and I was just like, "This is it." Well, I, I felt like it. I was onto something. I what? didn't know. I didn't know if it was it. Yeah. I didn't know what was happening, but I was intrigued by it all. And so, if I was like, "Well, if I can mix in uh, a burnt sienna into this wood, what happens if I mix in like some sap green or a and crimson or any warm color, yellows, oranges, like that kind of thing?" and uh, I just started experimenting and you know next thing I knew I was going to home Depot and buying panels of wood and cutting them down, sanding them smooth and staining paint into it like a furniture maker would do mm-hmm. uh, and the only difference was is I was mixing in different colors like a fine artist would do and then um I felt like I was on to something, so I started building these landscapes into like these plywood but I didn't like the way the plywood looked because it was pine and the, the grain was really not the character that I was looking to achieve, it was kind of psychedelic looking, you know, so and then I went to birch and then birch still, it, I ended up painting more on top of the wood than I really wanted the wood to show weren't Able to use as much of the wood grain, right? Just coming through as much, here. right? And then when I came across the red, oh, red oak, yeah, was when um, I felt like I hit it yeah. on the head, uh-huh. okay. and uh, just been doing that ever so since. So
0: you made some paintings on red oak, and those got into the gallery.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. those got into Paul's gallery, and I sold a couple of them, and um, had a new focus. And then when uh, Paige Steffens, the um, She's pretty much like a childhood friend of, um, or the girlfriend of a kid I grew up with. She stopped into the gallery, saw my work, and then pushed it on to David Smith. Yeah,
0: right. David Smith, for anyone who doesn't know, is an art dealer um, and a publisher of works of art, and he's kind of a he's got a golden touch finding artists. He does discovering artists. He does that, uh, you know, and and bringing them to the market and really creating stars in the art world so yeah, yeah. He's,
1: and he's also quite the character yes he is he's quite the, quite the personality so she knew Dave okay. She yeah okay. she knew Dave and right. it was just like you gotta you gotta look and at this guy's scale. artwork yeah, okay. um, it's right up your alley because Dave you know with Chris Derubis Patrick right. Guyton yeah, everybody's okay. working on their own substrates substrates yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, the wood was kind of like the missing link out of mm-hmm. all his other artists, artists. Yeah. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know from there he was just like, "Okay, let's do a show," and I was like, "But what do you mean, let's do a <laughs> show? He I don't, operates. I don't have anything." He's like, "Well, that's your problem, your problem. you yeah, know. I want
0: a show next Tuesday, right?" <laughs> and
1: I was just like, "Oh man, I gotta, I gotta really hustle." And um, all of a sudden, I had a focus, I had a drive. But the problem was, he wanted stuff that I wasn't constantly doing all the time, like figurative artwork, cityscapes. Uh, I think the main thing was, is he, he had a demand for figurative artwork, and I was just like. my stomach dropped because I haven't really done figurative artwork since Since college college. Mm -hmm. you know and we're talking what uh,
0: 2014-15
1: so almost 10 years later Mm -hmm. uh, I was just like so I I just started experimenting and figuring out ways to incorporate the female form into the the plywood or the, the red oak and I was struggling, man. I was struggling hard mm-hmm. for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying before, I would do 20 paintings, maybe keep one, mm-hmm. and do 40 paintings, and maybe keep 10, mm-hmm. type thing. And I was like, Hey, Dave, if you think after this first show, I might be able to uh, incorporate some landscapes and sea life and like seascapes Something and stuff like that. Oh, and he was, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's just like, <laughs> Yeah, what are you talking about? I, I want, I want you to do, you know, some cafe scenes, some European scenes, some still life, seascapes, like. Everything and at that point, I was just like a little kid in a candy store because right. I wasn't just confined to doing this one subject matter.
0: Yeah, I, so many options. Oh, yeah, there's yeah.
1: whatever works into the wood uh-huh. is uh, yeah. right. it was it was a giant relief, yeah. And then, um, I finally put together a solid body of work mm-hmm. and our first show was last year on um, April 1st, April, 1st yeah. April Fools Day April Fools, April Fool's Day 2017 um, yeah. and I was so, I remember I was so nervous because it was the first time this type of art was going to like be released to the public yeah. and I had never done a show like that before yeah. nor had I done any type of event mm-hmm. With Park sure. West or anything yeah. like this, yeah. so I felt like I was getting thrown to yeah. the, well, yeah. the lions den. Yeah, you know, thrown in the pool. Can you swim? Right. Yeah. It's um, a good way
0: to start. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so I <laughs> And Did you have a out in your first show? That's and then we sold out the first yeah. show, and it was just like, yeah. wow, okay, yeah. I guess this is gonna work. Yeah, Hopefully. Let's try it again and see what happens next yeah, time. And exactly. And then so we did two, we did yeah. three, and, you know, we've yeah. done 13. Today was number 13. Number 13. Lucky 13. Yeah. Consecutive. So, take us through the process now of
0: creating one of your paintings. You pick out the wood, and uh, from what I understand, you spend a lot of time looking at the individual wood grains to see if they call to you. They they, they suggest some subject form to you.
1: That's pretty much it. So I, I, I work on uh, The three-quarter inch red oak and the biggest challenge is finding the type of grain that um, i feel like i could paint something into you know they hate me when i come when i come into home depot because i literally pull out every sheet of the palette and line the whole aisle and just stand there you know for hours yeah just just trying to find like seamless natural grain patterns Mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't always happen on that first go around, uh, I'll end up having to go to two to ten different, different uh, locations to try and find it. What size boards do you buy? Uh, Four by eight-foot sheets. Four by eight-foot sheets, yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And when I finally do, then, you know, you put them on the cart, you roll them out the door, and bring them back to the shop, unload them, and uh, figure out some sizes that you want to cut. But actually it's more about you cut around the, the interesting part of the grain that you want to paint into. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's a lot of scrap mm-hmm. and depending on the type of color palette that I want to use, I mean, either way, I'll end up sanding it from, um, you know, a 100 grit all the way down to 320, and then starting to paint naturally into that. Like, say, if I wanted to use a warm color palette, then I could just start painting right into the into the panel naturally Mm -hmm. but if I wanted to paint say like grays or deep blues what I found that works the best is a a pickling effect where I'll burn the grain with a torch just to get some contrast and I'll, I'll brush like a almost like a whitewash pickling they used to do it back in the back in the 80s on the on the walls you know where you could still see the wood drain, but yeah, it yeah. it knocks it, it basically bleaches the look yeah, of the wood yeah. it's like a, a bleach wood exactly really, yeah and that's so i found that. from doing that i could achieve essentially any any color palette mm-hmm. that i wanted to and that was a major breakthrough for me mm-hmm. because before it was just you know reds yellows and oranges yeah. and that started to bug me because when I tried to mix in greens and blues, it would constantly mix in with the natural color of the wood and you and wouldn't get a color. clean, yeah. you wouldn't get a clean ultramarine blue right, right. or, you yeah. know, yeah. so. I'm confused about the burning, though. If, if I, if I don't, don't, if I don't too. burn it, mm-hmm. then you don't tend to see the wood grain as good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? So, and I've, I've, I started without burning it, but then you do, would do, you do, would basically like,
0: singe just singe it a little bit. Or? Yeah, yeah.
1: So when I came across figuring out a way to get different color palettes on these panels I tried the whitewashing but it didn't it, you couldn't see the so grain, the grain out. Yeah. so I experimented with burning I was just like oh, something's gotta, something's gotta give yeah. and uh, when I finally came across burning it and then letting it cool down and whitewashing it was when I hit the nail on the head yeah. and then all of a sudden I started out almost like a blank white canvas it was like a gesso canvas right. mm-hmm. but wood and you could still see the wood grain. Mm-hmm. And that was what I was after. I didn't want to lose the fact that it, it was still wood. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's you just, just painted anything. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Pen yeah, exactly. board, pen and paper, pen on Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: So you get the whitewashing effect, and then you draw. Yes. And so you're, you're, you're layering and layering and layering building it up too. That's really cool to see the balance. How do you get that equilibrium? Is that something you set
1: out to do, or is it something that just happens you know, naturally from your experience? No, well, it, I guess it depends on what I'm painting because if it's a landscape, I'll, I'll know like, okay, if there's going to be a mountain on the horizon, I want that opaque, but uh, if there's it, it, the sky and if there's water, I, I try to leave a lot of that natural wood grain coming through. You know, um, And similar to watercolor, if you go too dark too fast, you kind of spoil the whole thing but uh, what do you do with the paintings that don't, aren't successful <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, funny, these, it's funny it's yeah. funny everybody asks me that. they're, okay. they're like um, well, you can always you know just give me one that yeah. you, if you decide you don't want and <laughs> I was like well I'm not going to put my name on something yeah, right, that I'm not course. proud of yeah. so I'll either end up burning them or trashing no. <laughs> them or getting them out of society when, and you, if you want to put your name on something that you're proud of and you can stand behind and not just do it because I, I don't know it's it's something that, you know, I, I grew up learning and my, you know, my mom and my dad always sort of forced that whole idea of, you know, stand behind what you do. And I I just, I can't, I can't help, but if I'm not happy with a piece, I'm not going to stick it out there and put my name on it. In fact, I, I wouldn't even put it out there without putting my name on it. I just prefer to, like you said, cut it up and burn it. and yeah. And
0: the drawing and, you know, the execution is the highest level you do beautiful almost photorealistic still lifes and wonderful moods, mm-hmm. and and these beautiful landscapes and then you look at the wood and you see how cleverly you incorporate the wood into the design and we just kind of bask in the beauty of these paintings but none of us i think realize the struggle that you have to make these this is a hard you, you set the bar very high yes. to create your art it's not an easy road that you got to walk no. So that's I think also pretty amazing, you know, that, that you you you've you've decided to do something that's very challenging.
1: And it's fun it's fun for me which keeps the interest because there's no there's no panel that will ever be the same type of wood grain. You True. know, so you're always constantly dealing with new challenges mm-hmm. and different grain characters and which way should you cut this panel and should you run the grain vertically or should you run it horizontal and i've come to realize that uh you know the the more compressed grain works really well with uh you know skies and water and the more spread out grain works really well if you flip it vertically so the grains going up and down with like uh cityscapes and figures Mm -hmm. and still lifes so certain grains call to me for different subject matters mm-hmm. and i have kind of an acquired eye for what i know that i'm, I'm looking for now whereas in the beginning it was just like i'll buy that whole palette and then try to figure out what to do with it when it's all said and done yeah. and yeah. i'd waste three quarters of it just yeah not knowing or yeah. things like that you know
0: yeah well i would imagine that that part of your ability has evolved a lot since you started on this path, you know, just from the learning process. You know, um, Albrecht Durer used to make paintings of landscapes. He was one of the first artists ever to paint landscape, and he traveled around Europe and did watercolors as he traveled, and he would incorporate those into his other paintings and his prints, but he used to hide things in the paintings, you know, like in a a craggy rock formation, see like a face Mm -hmm. or a figure or whatever, and I think it was Leonardo used to talk about seeing things in the clouds, you know, seeing, you'd look at the clouds and you'd, you would imagine the shapes, faces, the forms,
1: or, or whatever, things, yeah. Which is kind of
0: what you're doing with the, with the wood grain, yeah. That must be kind of a fun experience, So You know, when that, you look at that, that piece of wood and just go, "Wow, there, there it is. Yes. Oh, I see it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then realizing it, you have to go, You set on that path, that difficult path, to, you know, bring it into existence. But uh, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, other than that, like... it it was funny because earlier today we had mentioned um, future works um, would i ever consider painting on different uh, types of wood Mm -hmm. and uh, the answer to that is absolutely Mm -hmm. you know anything that has an interesting grain pattern or already looks like a work of art i mean because there really is no better artist than mother nature herself and when you when you come across certain pieces of wood especially like coco bolo or the stuff they make the really nice guitars out of yeah. um, you see stuff like that and you're just like wow all, all i all i really like to do is you know paint paint a little sun or moon or uh, woman right right into that and let the wood grain speak and there's there's a lot of it out there i just uh, constantly on the lookout for it well, that's nice. That'll keep you busy. Yeah. It's, it's always
0: good to have constant goals and new, new directions to go in. Absolutely. Yeah, keep working it. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am for you. It's just been amazing to be a part of your 13th sellout show in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, for us to bring an artist in and present that artist's work to our, our, our guests, our collectors and have them respond so favorably. It's just such a beautiful win-win for everybody, you know. It's, it's great to see you on the path now of your success. You're going to keep doing it. You're just going to get better and better and create more wonderful things. People are going to savor the things that you create for them and enjoy them for the rest of their lives, you know. So it's a it's a beautiful thing, so I'm very happy for you. And thanks for sharing the uh, trials and tribulations you've been through. You know, <laughs> it's been tough. It's not been easy. But every artist I know has, has walked the walk that got them where they are through trials and tribulations, you know. There's nothing that's handed to them. And It's exactly. a lonely profession and it's a it requires a tremendous amount of courage and, and persistence and bravery and and humility, you know, to know that you've you got to keep be- get better and better and keep working at it, you know, and that takes a tremendous amount of fortitude, so... You deserve all the success you've had.
1: It's been an honor and a pleasure, yeah. and I look forward to you know keep producing yeah, as much yeah, as possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you being with us, and uh, I hope we'll, we can do another one of these segments like four or five years from now. Let's <laughs> see where the where the road's taking us. All this from a shark bite.
1: Is <laughs> ironically enough, they said that uh, you had a better chance getting struck by lightning or winning <laughs> the lotto than you actually did getting bit by a shark in the area that I was grown up in. Yeah. But um, never met anyone, lo and behold. Never
0: met, never met anyone been bit by a shark and lived to tell about right. it. Right. And you still got your foot.
1: So. Well, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny because I was able, from that point, step into something that I, I was passionate about and wanted to do and able to pursue, pursue and it. be su- successful yeah, at, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that to me was yeah. kind of like winning the lottery. Yeah. Um, it just took a while. <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs> it just took a while. All right. Thanks, man. and Pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Parkwest Gallery's Behind the Artist. To learn more about Parkwest Gallery's family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media. You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.